even though you had some technical problems at the start, you're on top of it when the recording and the on-off switch is not at my control. I think that is, that's impressive. That's really very, very good. Well done. Well, I don't know about you, but I absolutely love baptisms. And so it's just such a joy to be with you today at your all together. But more than that, to be here to see baptisms. I just, they just excite me. We've got our first ever baptism in two weeks' time. A girl who got saved in our church plant and is getting baptised. And it's just very exciting because she's then joining what we're calling our Eden Project, working with a message in Manchester into quite a hard area in Pontypridd. We've seen this girl come. She's met with Jesus. We've seen her get disciples. She's getting baptised and then she's joining the team. And you sit there and just think, it's just very, very exciting. The sad bit of the story is the church we're meeting in at the moment in the afternoons, a baptism, a, ba- a Baptist church. And uh, when we were b- planning the baptism, I rang them and said, is it okay if we use your baptismal pool? They said, oh, no, sorry. I said, why? They said, we keep our Christmas decorations in that. <laughs> I said, well, we could move them out for you. Oh, no, I don't think so. And he said, I think suddenly you realize why these chapels are dying in Wales. Because if this isn't happening, there's no life. And today, there's a celebration of life. It's a celebration of what's going on. It's also so good to be together when you gather together across the city. Now, it's bank holiday weekend, so you've got lots of people away. Some people travelled down to Wembley yesterday. And um, we won't go there again. But I just... uh, I just think sometimes it's good to look around and think, isn't it great what God is doing? So exciting. Around the city, you impact the city. And sometimes when you gather together, it's good to remember you are an army of God to impact this city. And so it's really wonderful to be with you. Just also to get over one issue that I think is a bit of an issue this morning. God is higher than the skyscraper and the highest mountain. Just want to put that out. Okay, so just as the word said, highest mountain, but we sang highest skyscraper, our God is bigger than both of those. So you can put that in your diary and remember that. He is that big. As Dan said, a few months ago, Liz and me came up and I was asked to do a session with all the uh, core group leaders. And then a few weeks later, I got an email from Dan saying, Thank you for that. It was really good. Could you come back and bring that to the whole church? Now, that leaves you with this question. Either it was really good and they want to hear it again, or actually he didn't understand it the first time and would like me to have a second attempt at bringing what I'm going to bring. So for some of you, you will have heard some of this material before. But this is a test of how many of you remembered. Who knows who Florence Chadwick is? Well done. Florence Chadwick was a long-distance swimmer. In 1950, she gained national acclaim by being the first female to travel across the channel both ways swimming. Not just crossing it, you know, she wasn't in the rowboat. She swam it both ways, which I kind of sit there and think is quite impressive. You know, was it that she swam one way and thought, how do I get back? I better go swim back the other way. But she swam both ways. And then, a few years later, she decided in 1952, July the 4th, that she was going to be the first woman to swim 
from the Catalina Islands to mainland California. This was obviously warmer water, but this now is shark-infested water. 21 miles, and she set off. The morning she got there, she came down to the beach, she started to go into the water, and a thick fog came down over the whole of the water. She swam for 15 hours in thick fog. And after a while, after these 15 hours, she eventually called her support boat over and said, I can't go on anymore. I'm exhausted. Can't go on. And so they pulled her into the boat. And then they discovered something awful. She was half a mile away from the coast. In the interview afterwards, she said, if I could have seen the coast, I would have made it. If I could have seen where I was going, I would have got there. And what I want to bring to you this morning is I want to look at the whole issue of anxiety and worry. Because actually anxiety and worry can be like a thick cloud that comes over your life, can come over the church, can come over your plans, and it's like a thick fog that ultimately drains you of energy and drains you of the momentum to keep going. And so this morning I want to look at what Jesus taught on this whole issue. So let's pray, and then I'll get into God's word. Father, I thank you that you're a God who speaks. I want to thank you, Lord, for the excitement of seeing lives transformed as we celebrated these baptisms. I want to thank you, Lord, that you're a God who is growing and extending your kingdom. And Lord, this morning, I want to pray for a real release as we look at your word, a real excitement about who you are and what you're doing. In your name, amen. Anxiety can really get you. Worry and stress is one of the things which keeps people awake at night. You know, suddenly when you're there at night, you start thinking about stuff. And it's ridiculous. Why is it at two o'clock in the morning, my brain is going for everything that I can't do anything about anyway? It's not like I can do anything about it at two in the morning, but it gets you. And I read a report recently that said the 21st century is one of the most stressful times to live. Now, I don't know how they did that as a, a survey. I would imagine living through the bubonic plague was quite stressful. But I kind of like, but they're saying with media, with telecommunications, it's just constant. And we live in that. As children of God, we live. And so it's important to think, what is it that Jesus taught? Now, Sometimes when we look at Jesus' teaching, we can look at it as if, well, he didn't really feel this stuff. He was God. And actually, you can look at it and say, well, it's like, you know, if I came today and gave a lecture on what it's like to give birth to a child. You can say, well, how would you know? You've never given birth to a child. You're right. I've, I've been around quite a few births, but I've not actually experienced that pain. Well, when Jesus teaches on this, we've got to remember He was 100% God, but he was also 100% man. So when Jesus teaches on the issue of anxiety, this is him saying, this is how I dealt with it. So when he brings teaching on it, it's not some sort of how-to book or some self-help documentary. This is how Jesus himself, the Son of God, dealt with anxiety. This is when it came against him. Now, you can't sit and think... This is always a fine line when you talk about the humanity of Jesus, because you're walking this fine line of 
truth and heresy very closely. You know, we know he's 100% God. We know he's 100% man. How do you define his humanity? What we do know is this. When Jesus came onto earth, he laid aside his majesty. He laid aside some of which was rightly his to use. He put that aside so that when Jesus was on earth, we realized he functioned like you and me. Now, yes, he was perfect. Yes, he could see the Father clearly. But he actually was like this. He had to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And he was totally listening to what the Father wanted him to do. He made himself totally sort of accountable, submitting to the Father while he was on earth. He ministered just like you and me. Listening to the Father, empowered by the Spirit. Because he came and did that, we can now live like that. That is what Jesus did. So when Jesus came, when he teaches on things like anxiety, it's not some sort of, hey, here's some, some ideas I've got. This is how Jesus himself would deal with this in the day-to-day living that he had. So let's read what he brought in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is it not more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds in the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of their life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the fields, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what they need, all of them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This morning, I want to look at three things. Three things we're told not to do, three things we're told to do, and three things that God does. So it should be quite simple. Three times three, nine things. There you are. Three things, three things that we're told not to do, three things we're told to do, and three things that God does for us. This was Jesus' teaching on how he handled anxiety. Firstly, three things we're told not to do. Number one. You'll find in verse 25, Jesus said, do not be anxious. There you are. First thing you're told not to do. Second thing you're told not to do, you'll find in verse 31, Jesus looked at the crowd and said, do not be anxious. This is good, isn't it? Third thing, you think, hey, this is going to be a quick sermon. If he can keep going at this speed, we're going to be out of here pretty soon. We'll get that picnic that we're looking forward to. Third thing, verse 34. 
Jesus said, do not be anxious. Three times the message comes across, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Trouble is with that message, if someone keeps telling you, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, it could make you think, there's some reason to be anxious here. You know, at our wedding day, Bob, who was preaching that day, we asked him 10 minutes, got lots of visitors. He preached for, I think, close to 35, 45 minutes on this subject. Do not be anxious, do not be anxious, do not be anxious. You know, I was starting to get quite worried. What have I done? You know, why, why does he feel this need to keep telling us not to be anxious? And if Jesus' message had just been that, it would have been one of the most unhelpful messages ever brought. It would have been really unhelpful. You can imagine the disciples walking away afterwards. The conversation would be something like, you know, Peter turned to John and say, Hey, Jesus was looking at you when he kept talking about don't be anxious. And John said, oh, he was, wasn't he? He kept staring my way. And someone else said, oh, and you know how prophetic Jesus is? Well, he must know something, John. Oh, yeah. You know, imagine the fear. Don't be anxious. Stop it, stop it. I always feel for Joshua. Here's Joshua suddenly told Moses is dead. Be bold and courageous. Be bold and courageous. Be bold and courageous. I don't want to be. Don't be anxious. If it had been left to that message, it would have been really unhelpful. If you're told not to do something, I, maybe this is just me. My tendency tends to be, I'll do that then. You know, it's just something in my nature. Someone says, don't do that. Oh, I'll have a go at that. You know, it's something, it's just, maybe I'm just really naughty, but actually, school reports say that. But actually, there's something, don't be anxious, don't be anxious, don't be anxious. Your result is, oh, you know, we've got, um, I've had a number of children going through exams at different stages at the moment. And how have you say, oh, don't worry about it? It goes in one ear and out the other. <laughs> Just <laughs> anxiety. It can cripple you. It can totally cripple you. When you sit with people who are facing big decisions and anxiety and fear gets in, suddenly they are unable to make the decision. Now... If Jesus had stopped here, this would have been dreadful. Why is it wrong to be anxious? I think this, anxiety is when you make yourself God. What do I mean by that? Anxiety and worry is when you say the buck stops with me. I've got to do something about this. It's the situation where you put yourself in a position that I've got to sort this out. When I get anxious about something, it tends to be because I feel I should do something about it. Often I get anxious because I can't do anything about it. It's out of my control. It's out of the way I can do anything about it. So my anxiety, dare I say, becomes my prayer language to myself. So suddenly, rather than going to God, I go to myself. And as soon as I go to myself, stress levels double triple, quadruple, because I know how inept I am. So suddenly I'm sitting there thinking, I've got to sort this out. Help! Help for everybody. Help for my children. Help for my family. If I've got to be the one, we've got problems. And what happens with anxiety is it takes the focus and it totally comes onto you. Suddenly, it's what's going to happen to you. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to resolve the situation? Which is why Jesus says, don't do that. You're actually making yourself 
your own God, rather than saying, there is a God who I can go to at this moment in time. Suddenly, everything grows. Anxiety shoots through the roof because the buck stops with you. We don't want to worry, but we just find sometimes situations when we do. So Jesus says, don't. But then, helpfully, gives us three things to do instead. Number one, we read, look. Look. Look at the birds in the air. Look. Use your eyes. Look at the world around you. The first contrast God wants you to do is look at what God is doing all around, all the time. Someone wrote, there are about 8.7 million living species in the world. And God provides for all of them. God provides for all of them. You know, recently I watched a program where they went down into the deepest, deepest part of the ocean. And as they're going down, they're saying, it is impossible for anything to live down here. And then they get down the bottom and they find these extraordinary looking fish. They're completely blind, but they're there. And there's sort of this black mush that's there that they're feeding off. And there's these scientists saying, isn't this amazing? This creature, how on earth is this possible? And you sit there and think, well, God's been enjoying that for years. They're there because it's God's creation. He's been enjoying Bob the fish. And now you've come and disturbed him. You know, he's suddenly, and he's been providing for these fish that they could keep going and keep going. God's providing for animals we can't even see. God's providing for creatures we don't even know exists. God is providing for all of his creation all of the time. God says, Jesus says, look. Look at the world around you. Recently, I had the the privilege of going to Kenya. And I went out to look at a project called Just Earth, which I'll mention in a minute. But I went out, and there was this one day we had a bit of a break. We went out on a boat on Lake Victoria to see the hippos. So we went out looking for hippos. It's funny, isn't it? When the hippos actually appeared, we were so excited. And you think, and think, but we did go out looking for hippos. We should have expected to see the hippos. But it was so extraordinary. But the most amazing moment was as we came around this corner, the man on the boat got so excited because he looked up at this tree. And on this tree, there were 40 different species of birds, all of them living off this tree. All of them being provided for by this tree. It was the most extraordinary scene I've ever seen. You couldn't really tell what was tree and what was alive. The whole thing was just full of life of all these birds. And the man on the boat turned to us and said, that tree is actually dying. Because of all the birds and its provision for the birds, it actually will be dead within a few years' time. He said, oh, not a very happy story. He said, but look. The last thing that tree does, there's another tree emerging from it. So the last thing the tree does is it provides a new tree for those birds to be. And he turns to us and says, isn't nature amazing? You sit and think, isn't God outstanding? Look, look. You know, when Jesus did this teaching, he wasn't in a very nice hall in Sheffield. He was in the open air. There was grass on the ground. There would be birds flying overhead. He said, look. Look at the world around. God provides for all of that. 
Now, last night we were at Tim and Becky's and there was a baby blackbird there in the garden. You think, that's lovely. And then you saw the cat sort of coming. And so suddenly the window was open and they were all clapping and the cat ran away and, hey, the bird was saved for the next few minutes. But we don't know what happened to it. But you suddenly see, at the moment, just all the birds providing for one another. The care, all that comes from God. Jesus' first way he dealt with anxiety when it came his way, and he was perfect, he didn't let it get him, was this, he looked at the creation. Isn't it astounding when you think of our saviour? Think of this. When he spoke and the world came into being, he knew there would be a day when he would have to become part of it. That he knew there would be a day when he would become part of his creation to rescue us. He knew it. He knew there would be a day where he would have limited, chosen to limit himself so that he had to look at his own creation to remind himself of the goodness of himself. There was a day he did that. And then you think, what an amazing saviour. What an amazing saviour. And this is the one saying, do not be anxious. The one who created everything and yet came in to his own creation. So he says, don't, don't be anxious. Look. But the second thing he says is consider. So first, you look at the world around you. And the second thing is consider. Think theologically at the creation of God. Think theologically. Think biblically. The things you can deduce by God by looking at his creation. You are worth so much more than everything that you can see happening to God. You are of such high value that he came himself and dwelt amongst us. He came and lived amongst us. He came and did all that he did for us. Because you are of greater value than the birds of the air and all the rest of his creation. You are worth more to Jesus than the fish they've just discovered at the bottom of the ocean. You are worth more that he himself came. You're the pinnacle of his creation. You've been made in his image. Might be a broken image now because of the fall, but you've been made in his image. And the moment we give ourselves to him, we become suddenly the reflection of Jesus in front of the Father. You are worth more than the beasts in the field. This is the major difference you've got between you and David Attenborough. Now, I remember years ago reading an article in the Radio Times that David Attenborough had written. It was an article which was on a painting that he discovered in Australia. And they were supposed to write about their favourite piece of art. And he said he found this incredible painting in the outback in Australia of this bird. And he went on paragraph after paragraph after paragraph about how magnificent this incredible painting was. The style, the colours, the textures. And then he went on how it must be a genius who painted this painting. We don't know who it is, but what a genius who's done this amazing work painting this picture of the bird. And then he said, and the bird evolved. Last little paragraph. And he sat there and he thought, so it took a genius to paint the picture. But the bird happened by sheer accident. (laughs) The The bird was sheer fluke, but the picture, that requires a genius. Might it not be the genius was required to make the bird in the first place? See, people can look at creation and miss the very message of it. 
They can look at the world around them and say, isn't it incredible? Nature is phenomenal. Look at this. Look at how everything balances itself. Look at how we're just in the right position in the universe so that we can have life in the way we have. Isn't it incredible? But not make that extra step, which says, and there's a creator, the great I am, who put everything into place, who created it all and put it there right now. That there is a great I am who so loved the world he sent his own son to die for him. We are told, look at the world around you and consider this. However spectacular the world is, however phenomenal, you can see these incredible history programs, these natural history programs and see these incredible things. You're worth more than any of them to God. You're the pinnacle of his creation. This is how Jesus is saying, look, this is how to deal with anxiety. When you face something and you think, how do I deal with this? Jesus says, open your eyes and look. Look at the world around you. Look at how I'm providing for all of my creation. Look at how I'm caring for all that you can see. And consider this. You're worth more to me than the bird that you're watching right now. You're worth more than me than the grass that is growing. You're worth more to me than any species in my creation. You're the one I love. You've got to sometimes get your life back into perspective. Anxiety is like the fog. You lose the borders. You lose the valley. You lose the view. Suddenly there's a point where you think, I've got to get the view back. I think that's why sometimes night is such a bad time to get anxiety. Because my wife says, you can't see anything. (laughs) You can't see anything. You can't see creation at that point. It's just you in the darkness. And that's why you've got to remind yourself. I will look. I will consider. God will be there for me. You know, it's funny. Many of you know our story that when that was preached at our wedding, it was probably the most accurate word ever to be preached to us. I'm bald for a reason. You know, actually, there's kind of, you know, we went through it in different stages. And even now, we're kind of, as we're planting the church, sort of living in faith in different things. And it's extraordinary how the other day we had to, something went wrong with the car, went to the garage, it was going to cost close to a thousand pounds. And there's that horrible sort of sinking feeling of, what are we going to do? And, oh, you know, how are we going to pay this? And suddenly a letter came through from Child Benefits. And it was just a letter saying, you know, is Reese going to continue in further education? Very simple. You just write yes and send it back. You know, and that's it. His child benefit continues. And then we suddenly realized Evan isn't on the list. And so Liz rang up to discover Evan hadn't been on the list for the last two years since he'd swapped. (laughs) Shows God even blesses your administrative incompetence. And so at that moment in time, we then find out, oh, there's back payment due. It came to the exact amount the car cost. You see, I think, God knew. There's a tiny part of you that thinks, Lord, we could have got that money without the... Anyway, that's a... <laughs> God provides. God, cons- God cares. And then the last thing that Jesus tells us to do is this. If we're to look at the world around us, if we're to consider we're of greater value, it then puts us into a position where we can now seek the kingdom of God. See, anxiety robs you of going forward. 
Anxiety robs you of peace. It robs you of security. It robs you of the ability to keep pushing on. It takes you back. It stops you. It's like the wall in a marathon. You suddenly hit it. Not that I know. This really is me talking, not having experience. At the moment, me and my son are just doing the uh, couch to 5K. And uh, it's quite fun, really. You kind of, you have this app on your, on your phone, which sort of, you know, starts off, have a brisk walk for four minutes. So we do the brisk walk, and then it says, right, now run. And so we're there running. And we're running down the Taft Trail, and we're running along, and uh, it's just, it, it just gives instructions at the most inappropriate moments. And so we were just doing the last run, and we're running along, and you can see this group of guys ahead, and you suddenly realize there's a drug deal being done just in front of us. And we're running along. And just as we get there, suddenly this app very loudly shouts out, Well done. Give yourself a pat on your back and have a banana. Just <laughs> 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 so as we get there. And these guys, look, and I had that horrible moment thinking, I hope I haven't just ordered something. <laughs> I said to, I said to Evan, let's just keep running for a minute. <laughs> But there's moments when you're running that you hit that wall. Anxiety's like that. Oh, I can't keep going. Can't keep going. Jesus says, look, don't do that. Look, consider, but then come to a place where you can seek the kingdom. This is how Jesus dealt with it. There were moments when Jesus would have looked and thought, I'm going into Jerusalem And the crowd that's going to cheer me in is going to cheer for me to be killed. I'm going into this place to die on the cross. How do I do that? I look. I consider. I consider what this is for. And then he says, then he seeks the kingdom. See, people who seek the kingdom can overcome anxiety. People who can get to that place say, God, I'm going to trust you. I know I'm inept at sorting this out, but I trust you to sort it out. Therefore, I can give time and energy to push in, to seek the kingdom of God. I want, it's almost like God saying, Jesus saying, I want you to see a bigger picture than anxiety brings you to see a very small picture. It's your world. Jesus says, look at the world around you, consider your more value, and then look at the great picture that I've got for you, which is my kingdom. I taught you, pray. My kingdom come, my will be done. That which is in heaven, done on earth, right now. That's what I want you to see. And I, when I went to Kenya, one of the things that was astonishing, I went to look at a project called um, Just Earth. And it started from a friend of mine called Bruce Collins who'd gone over to Kenya. And he had looked, and he's from South Africa, and he looked and he saw that the maize that was growing there was absolutely rubbish. These, all these farmers had acres of land and the maize just wasn't very nice. It wasn't good. As a result, people weren't making enough money. They weren't getting enough food to eat. Huge poverty. And what was happening then, the men were then going off to the city to get work. They were then catching AIDS. They were then bringing that back into communities. And then you were having many, many orphans. The whole thing was just snowballing. And so he kind of prayed and said, Lord, is there a way we can do something about bringing your kingdom into this. And while he was praying this, he bumped into a man in a meeting. It happened to be a guy called Dr. Apollo, who was the expert 
on agriculture in Kenya and was advising the government. They got to a point where he was utterly frustrated advising the government and actually wanted to do something. And so they met and they were talking and Apollo said, what we could do is set up farm schools. We could set up a school that just trains people how to farm. And alongside that, we could bring kingdom training and kingdom teaching. And so they set up this thing called Just Earth, which basically is they ran a farm school for three years. All the farmers who came on it were told, you've got to give a day a week to come on this school. And we're going to, you're going to learn different ways to grow maize. And then you decide which is the best way for you. We're going to teach you. And then the next day after that, we're going to send someone over called a facilitator who's going to come to your farm and is going to look at your farm and just ask questions. You know, what's happening here? How do you do this and do this? And advise you on ways that you can do something better. Alongside that, the local church is going to work with you. And they're going to teach you kingdom principles. They're going to teach you what it is to have a godly marriage. How to bring up children in a godly way. And we're also going to pray for healing and for the supernatural power of God. This whole package was put together. Of course, what then starts happening is you start hearing these incredible testimonies. I was never that interested in maize, but I've now got picture after picture after picture of maize. Because it was just unbelievable. You turn up and you'd walk into this farm. Next door, the maize is here. And then you walk into this farm. It's got huge maize. It's just wonderful. And you're thinking, how, how is this possible? And everyone's testimony was this. The first year of farm school, we went from having half a bag of maize to 10 bags of maize. Second year, 15 bags of maize. Third year, 20 to 30 bags of maize. The next thing, of course, that happens is this. You then have people saying, as a result, my children are now going to school. As a result, my daughter is now going to university. As a result, my husband has come back from the city and is now working on the farm. As a result, we've taken in six orphans to come and live in our family so we can train them and teach them the ways of God. On top of that, they then tithe all that they are getting so that that can feed widows and orphans. You can't, I went around this thing, and you're thinking, this is amazing. And then, of course, you've got neighbours coming and saying, why is your maze so much better than mine? And so they then teach the neighbours how to do it. When we looked at this, the thing that hit us was this. This course has been going for 10 years. They estimate 70,000 people have been brought out of poverty as a result of it. I think it's just phenomenal. On top of that now, it was such a success... They're now having to market the maize from this area because there's too much maize to sell in the markets. So it's now having to go into the cities, which is now giving a load of other people employment. And someone said, what do you think's happened here? He said, the kingdom of God has come. Because this is only the kingdom of God. It's just God breaking in. And what's incredible, of course, is you see, what I found so moving is we did a time where we were praying for the sick And the expectation of the farmers is, oh yeah, God will heal us. Because he has to, otherwise I can't farm. And so my expectation is that God will heal. And of course, what happens? God was healing. In fact, we had this incredible time where the team I was on, Bruce, was having to go back, uh, catch a flight in an hour's time. And we had just met these farmers at the farm school, and they all wanted us to pray for them. And you could see that moment of, well, we haven't really got time. And so Bruce said, well, God... We just asked that you'd come and do something miraculous very quickly. I've never known anything like it. I had people walking up to me to be prayed for. And as they're walking up, they say, oh, thank you, and walked away. And you think, what's going on? And just people were getting healed. The kingdom of God came. When you now look at Sheffield, 
You look at your situation. What is it that needs to happen in society right now? The kingdom of God needs to come. What is one of the greatest battles we're facing? Anxiety. You look at the debate at the moment about Europe, okay? I'm not going to get political, but I know one member of your church thinks I'm an extreme left-wing, you know, Remainer. Anyway, <laughs> but we won't go there. But anyway, this is sort of... The, the whole debate is fear. It's all fear. No one's having a sensible discussion. It's all fear, fear, fear. If we leave, this nation is going to be flooded by immigrants. If we leave, there's going to be millions. The whole world is going to decide to come here for some unknown reason. If we stay, oh no, no, sorry, wrong way around. If we leave, World War Three is happening. Armageddon, that's it. You know, everything's going to go bang. If we stay, the whole world comes here. You see, I think, this is crazy. Everyone is fear-driven. What do we need? People who seek the kingdom of God. Sheffield needs people who seek the kingdom of God. The nations need people who seek the kingdom of God. The nations need people who don't worry about tomorrow. The nations need people who aren't worried about their finances, but will trust God. The nations need people who will say, do you know what? Like the early disciples, we might die, but I'd rather seek the kingdom and trust him at this moment in time. I look, I consider, I seek. That was the message of Jesus. That's how Jesus lived. But then there's three things that God does. First thing is God feeds us. Now that, you can look at it and see that as very practical. God provides food, like you saw in Kenya. Very clear. When you did it God's way, God provided food. But there's a spiritual dimension. If there's a physical dimension, God feeds the birds in the same way he'll feed you. There's something different here. This isn't just manna. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. There's spiritual food as well. God gives us spiritual food, physical food and spiritual food, that we can have that intimate relationship with God. We can be strengthened by him. We can be encouraged by him. We can be built up by him. Also, God clothes us. The second thing that God does. Obvious meaning, physical, he'll clothe you. If he can clothe the birds of the air and everything else, he can clothe you. But actually, there's also that incredible spiritual one. Once, we were in rags and dirt and rubbish. And then by the grace of God, he came and clothed us in righteousness. We've been clothed so we can have the relationship with the Father. You have got hope. You know, one of the things at the moment in living in the valleys and planting churches in the valleys, actually one of the challenges is this, the hopelessness of the valleys. There is a message in the valleys that's this. And it's been there for generation upon generation. My own dad was told this. Get out of the valleys. If you want to come to anything, get out of the valleys. So the picture is this. Anyone who's got out, they've done good. Anyone who's remained has got no hope and no purpose. And it feels like that. It feels, uh, the further into the Rhonda Valley you go, the more it just feels claustrophobic and people have lost any hope. Jesus came so the hopelessness could be replaced with hope. 
Jesus came so that we could be clothed with hope. It is the greatest message that's out there today. No politician has a message this outstanding. No sports person has a message this amazing. No one's got a message this incredible. That there is hope and purpose and destiny in your life. That Jesus can clothe you with righteousness and put you in relationship with him. And he'll look after you. You think, yes. Now that looking after you, like Stephen, maybe you meet him quicker than you thought. But he'll look after you. You know, there's a promise. He's there with you. And then the final thing that God does is God knows the grounds for everything the goodness of God the grounds for not being anxious but to seek the kingdom and the righteousness of God is found in verse 32 God is not ignorant of what you need He's not ignorant of the cries of your heart, the desperation, the basis of your prayers. He knows. Now, at the start of the year, I was reading the Bible through a year. I've got this You uh, Bible thing app. It's really annoying. I've got, it's really helpful, but it's really annoying. You kind of do the app, and I kind of go, I've got into this. So I, I was quite a, a bit ahead. You know, I felt good for once in my life. Now, we're under grace, but... And then suddenly you get this message comes up. Have you read your Bible today? <laughs> you know, it's like the most legalistic app ever. You know, <laughs> legalism hitting you. Yes, I have. You find yourself arguing with your iPhone. I've read the Bible. You know, so, stop telling me to read the Bible. You know, but I was reading through it, and of course, you start off in Genesis. You do well till you hit Leviticus, and you keep going. You're there, doing really well, and you hit that really odd story of Abraham and Isaac. The story where God says, come and sacrifice Isaac on the mountain. Now, we can look at it now and think, it's a mirror of the father and the son. We can see it. But it was, it's an odd story. And you look at it and you think there was this moment where this man who spent most of his life introducing himself as, hi, I'm the father of many nations. Oh, how many children have you got? None. You know, he kind of, he's kind of spent his life. Now he's got the child, the promise. And he's told, come and sacrifice. And he's, he's going up the mountain. You think, oh, what's this about? This time I read it and saw something totally different. And it was that God knew. God had already provided. Suddenly I recognized that the ram that was caught in the thicket was there when Abraham and Isaac were walking up the mountain. As they were going up the mountain, the ram was already there. When they come up to the stone where they're going to sacrifice Isaac, the ram is already in the thicket. When Isaac was put on the stone, the ram was already in the thicket. When when Abraham raised the, the knife up, the ram was already in the thicket. And when God stops him, he turns and sees the ram. God's provided You've got something to sacrifice. God already knows what you need tomorrow. God is not a God who's reactionary. God is not a God who suddenly thinks, oh, I hadn't thought about that for Dan. Ah! (laughs) Quick, put something into action. (laughs) He already knows. He already knows what you need next year. He already knows what you need in 10 years' time. He knows what you need in 25 years' time. He knows. He knows. He's not... 
limited to time. He knows. He knows the whole story. He knows what you need. So your issue of anxiety is this. Do you trust that he knows? Because if you look, you consider, and you seek, then you can come to the place where you say, God, I know you know. I know you know. I know you know. God knows what you need as a church to break through into the next thing. He knows what you need to see the kingdom come in fully. He knows what you need. He won't be taken by surprise. It might come to the very last minute, but it was already there. The provision was already there. And you as a church, you've got to hear, you have been incredible. I want to just say a massive thank you because God used you to provide for us at the very right moment. You know, I know when you had the weekend away, you took a, a gift for Liz and me. The hilarious thing is, there was a morning where Liz had just lost her job. I'd woken up and I felt so low. The day before, I'd been dealing with something that just drained me. I was at my lowest ebb. And I turned to Liz and said, we've got to pray today for some encouragement. I just need some encouragement. And <laughs> so I texted and said, can you pray for some encouragement for us? And a text comes straight back saying, we've got some encouragement. When can I ring you? Now. <laughs> the offering was done in January. This was sometime in February, wasn't it? And it was that day I needed encouragement. It was that day. The provision was already there. But I needed it that day. God knows. And God used you magnificently. So whatever you're anxious about today, this week, next year, in 10 years' time, God already knows. Who here can remember what they were anxious about last week? Who here can remember what they were anxious about 10 years ago? Who here can remember what they were anxious 20 years ago? There are things that were major issues for us that we can't remember now. Some you can. Some you are living with. But actually, God knows. And I want to end with this quote from a guy called Robert Kappen. And it's a quote that I think is dealing with anxiety. He says this, The good news is no longer good news. It's okay news. Christianity is no longer life-changing. It's life-enhancing. Jesus doesn't change people into wide-eyed radicals anymore. He changes them into nice people. If Christianity is simply about being nice, I'm not interested. What happened to the radical Christianity, the unnice brand of Christianity that turned the world upside down? What happened to the category-smashing, life-threatening, anti-institutional gospel that, thre- th- that oh God, too excited, spread through the first century like wildfire and was considered dangerous to those in power? What happened to the kind of Christians whose hearts were on fire, who had no fear, who spoke the truth no matter what the consequences, who made the world uncomfortable, who were willing to follow Jesus wherever he went? What happened to the kind of Christians who were filled with impassion and gratitude and who every day were unable to get over the grace of God? I'm ready for a Christianity that ruins my life that captures my heart, makes me uncomfortable. I want to be filled with astonishment, which is so captivating that I'm considered wild and unpredictable and, well, dangerous to a dull and boring religion. I want a faith that is considered dangerous by our predictable and monotonous culture. Anxiety robs us of being the people God wants us to be. If we can deal with that... You can seek the kingdom of God. 
and be the person God wants you to be. Can we stand, please?